Dr. Balaghi here. This podcast is on ovarian cancer from an outstanding chapter authored by Kelsey Lapenis, who is currently at Duke University, Dr. Michael J. Berer, MD, PhD, uh, who was professor at Harvard Medical School when this chapter was in press, Dr. John O. Shorge, MD, who is currently a uh, Chief of Gynecologic Oncology at Tufts Medical Center. And the senior author is Dr. Richard T. Penson, MD, MRCP, who is Director of Gynecologic Oncology at the Mass General Hospital and Associate Professor at Harvard Medical School. This chapter is derived from Balaga's textbook of internal medicine with 1,480 multiple choice questions available at www mastermedfacts.com. Ovarian cancer is the fifth leading cause of cancer-related deaths among U.S. women and the most fatal cancer of the female reproductive system. It often presents as advanced disease, yet despite this radical surgery and chemotherapy enable patients to live for years. Increased understanding has led to effective multidisciplinary care and approaches such as chemotherapy, intraperitoneal, and prophylactic oophorectomies. Yet improving survival remains a challenge despite these advances. The lack of effective screening and development of drug resistance makes a cure for too many women impossible. Ovarian cancer is a collection of distinct diseases arising from three major cell origins epithelial cells, sex cord astromal cells, and germ cells with epithelial ovarian tumors representing more than 90%. Ovarian tumors are further divided into one benign, two borderline, and three malignant tumors. And then by histological subtypes defined by the WHO, that's the World Health Organization, into serous, endometroid, clear cell, mucinous, transitional, squamous, mixed, and undifferentiated types. Grading of these histologies typically, one is well differentiated, two is moderately differentiated, three poorly differentiated, and relates to the percent content of solid sheets of tumor. In grade one, there's less than 5%, in grade 3, there is more than 50%. However, tumors can also be classified as a binary grade system of high grade type 1 versus low grade type 2. Low grade tumors are typically confined to the ovary, have mild to moderate cytological atypia, low proliferation rates, may be driven by oncogenes such as BRAF and KRAS. And here, better prognosis in comparison to high-grade tumors are predominantly due to the loss of tumor suppressor gene P53 and the gate keeps a genome and characterized by DNA instability and have thousands of mutations and gross chromosomal amplification and loss. In addition, high-grade tumors are more chemosensitive whereas low-grade tumors tend to exhibit less response to chemotherapy. 
unique to ovarian cancer are borderline or tumors of low malignant potential, LMP. They're often found in younger women in mid-40s with a favorable outcome compared to other epithelial tumors. Low malignant potential tumors are molecularly distinct from high-grade tumors. It is typically a lack of stromal invasion that distinguishes low malignant potential tumors from high-grade invasive tumors. And though mechanistically poorly understood, these tumors have metastatic potential of spread to the peritoneum and, and domentum with no ability to invade. However, it is important to note that approximately 10% of low malignant potential tumors will have microscopic stromal invasion. They typically show a poor response to chemotherapy but are associated with good prognosis with surgery alone. Epidemiology Age is the most important risk factor with a 1 in 70 lifetime risk. Most patients are postmenopausal with a median age in the early 60s. More powerful but in a minority is a family history putting younger women at risk. The unified theory is that incessant periodic ovulatory cycles lead to dysplastic change in the ovarian surface epithelium. Increased risk has been associated with delayed childbearing nulli or low parity, early menarche and late menopause. Infertility, hormone replacement therapy more than 5 years, endometriosis and high fat diet. Other possible risk factors include white race, lactose, acetaminophen and asbestos contaminated talc. In contrast, tubal ligation oral contraceptive pill and breastfeeding appear to have a protective effect. Most epithelial ovarian cancers appear sporadically, yet 5-10% to of epithelial ovarian cancer result from a genetic predisposition. Mutations of the BRCA1 and BRCA2 tumor suppressor genes represent 75% of hereditary ovarian cancer. Their classical Mendelian autosomal dominant inheritance confers a 50-50 risk that a parent passes the allele to their child and is associated with a 10 to 60% lifetime ovarian cancer risk compared to the 1.4% for the general population. A strong family history is typically considered at least two first degree relatives with breast or ovarian cancer with one under the age of 50. These are Bethesda criteria. Descendants of the Ashkenazi Jew population have shown a higher prevalence of BRCA mutations, particularly three founder mutations, 185 deletion of AG, 538 2 in C in BRCA1 on 17Q and 617DEL deletion of T in BRCA2 on 13Q. Hereditary non polyposis cancer syndrome HNPCC representing 10 to 15 percent of hereditary ovarian cancer results from mutations to the mismatch repair genes MLH1 and MSH2 increasing an individual lifetime risk of ovarian cancer 3.7 fold. The Amsterdam criteria provides a model for diagnosing HNPCC 
three or more relatives with colon cancer diagnosis, two of which are related by first degree, and one diagnosis before the age of 50 years. Fears about gene testing, such as discrimination with respect to employment and health coverage, are now rarely an issue. Women who test positively for BRCA mutations are recommended prophylactic risk-reducing bilateral salpingo-oophrectomy after completing a family in 10 years before the youngest member of the family developed breast or ovarian cancer as anticipation into the next generation is associated with earlier penetrance. Risk-reducing bilateral salpingo-oophrectomy decreases ovarian cancer risk by 95%. The data in support of chemopreventive agents such as oral contraceptives and tamoxifen is less strong. Pathophysiology causes an origin. The precise origin of epithelial ovarian cancer has become controversial. It was previously thought that repetitive trauma, that is incessant ovulation theory proposed in 1971 and healing to the single-celled ovarian surface epithelium formed of uncommitted mesothelial cells results in a multi-step malignant transformation. Subsurface cortical inclusion cysts that form after ovulation were thought to place epithelium ectopically under inflammatory and mitogenic growth signals and be the source of borderline and type epithelial ovarian cancer. Many clear cell and endometrioid tumors arise in endometriosis with loss of the tumor suppressor ARID1A. More recently, research from high-risk women bearing BRCA mutations have undergone risk-reducing bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy, found an increased percentage of fimbrial fallopian tube lesions with mutant TP53 and serous tubule in situ, which has suggested that this is likely the site of origin of many intraepithelial ovarian cancers. Malignancy cells exfoliate, migrate transylomically into peritoneal fluid and can mobilize omental fat for fuel using lipases such that growth can be explosive. Natural history for serous tumors. Serous is uh, in Greek for secretory. Serous tumors are more common type of epithelial ovarian cancers, that's about 80%, typically developing rapidly with high-grade, advanced stage and poor prognosis. The histological pattern resembles the lining of the fallopian tube with papillary, that is frond-like projections that form slit-like spaces and samoma bodies which are glassy degeneration of secretions. Most present in advanced disease that is more than 75% and the majority, that is 80%, will recur. Natural history of endometrioid cancers. Endometrioid tumors are generally of lower grade and stage contributing to a better prognosis. A strong association exists between endometrioid tumors and endometriosis, loss of or mutation of P10 and mutations to B-catenin. 
natural history of clear cell tumors. Clear cell tumors are rare and are more commonly associated with thromboembolism, large pelvic masses, and chemoresistance with a grave prognosis. They have a distinct mutational array with activated HIF1-alpha glycolysis and PI3 kinase pathway and may benefit from additional angiogenic therapy such as bevacizumab. Natural history of mucinous tumors. Mucinous tumors are very, very rare tumors and resembling endocervical epithelium and tend to be one of three types. Low-grade tumors associated pseudomyxoma peritoneae where mucus in the peritoneal cavity and more frequently arising in the appendix and the ovary. The second type is a borderline mucinous tumor that require careful sectioning as they may harbor invasive tumor. The third type is bilateral high-grade tumors refractory to chemotherapy with a poor prognosis. Differentiating ovarian mucinous tumor from metastatic mucinous tumors from the colon or rectum, stomach, or pancreas, that is a Krokenberg tumor, can be hard and is helped by immunohistochemistry where with cytokeratin 7 positive and cytokeratin 20 negative staining. Rare epithelial tumor, the natural history of rare epithelial tumors which include transitional or Brunner tumors, a variant of serous with a better prognosis and de-differentiated carcinogenic Nomas or malignant mixed malarian tumors, that is MMMTs, with tissues not usually found in the ovary, such as cartilage. Natural history of germ cell tumors. Germ cell tumors of the ovary are rare, heterogeneous, and require specialized multidisciplinary management. Benign tumors of the oocyte develop into dermoids that contain all the embryonic cell layers or are monodermal containing, for example, functional thyroid tissue, that is struma ovari, which can be associated with thyrotoxicosis. Malignant tumors commonly present in young patients between second or third decades and have a very high cure rate. These tumors are associated with serum markers that are informative for diagnosis and surveillance. Dysgeminoma are the commonest, look like syncytiotrophoblastic cells and express placental alkaline phosphatase, lactic dehydrogenase, enzymes. Endodermal sinus tumors or yolk sac tumors secrete alpha-fetoprotein. Malignant teratomas always produce some alpha-fetoprotein, whereas non-gestational choriocarcinoma secrete beta-HCG. Surgery is the initial therapy with staging and debulking, but because of their exo Exquisite chemosensitivity, preservation of fertility is an important priority. Most patients with germ cell tumors require adjuvant chemotherapy with 3 to 4 cycles of bleomycin, etoposite, and cisplatin or the BEP regimen. Though stage 1 dysgeminoma and stage 1A grade 1 immature teratomas can be followed with careful surveillance using markers and scans. GOG-93, GOG is the designation for a gynecologic-oncology group natural trials and the number is typically sequential, was the, was the largest study of adjuvant BEP regimen that is bleomycin, etoposide, cisplatin 
in optimally cytoreduced stage 1, 2 or 3, non-germinatomatous ovarian germ cell tumors with 89 patients, continuously disease-free. And 91 of the 93 patients eventually with non-evaluable disease. Approximately one-third of the patients with recurrent germ cell tumors can still be cured. Natural history of stromal tumors. Stromal tumors are rare, relatively indolent and chemoresistant and often reflect the physiologic function of the parent tissue. Secreting estrogens, that is granulosa cell, or androgens, that is serotale ladig, which can be useful markers and cause precocious puberty or visualization. Granulosa cell tumors may respond to hormonal therapy such as LHRH agonists and are known for late recurrence. Management is mainly surgical and these tumors are not very chemosensitive but for the stage 1C and beyond, paclitaxel carboplatin or the BEP adjuvant therapy is recommended. Screening Early epithelial ovarian cancers, survival has excellent survival odds, yet over 70% of the women are diagnosed with advanced late-stage malignancies associated with a 5-year survival of less than 25%. Currently, serum markers CA125 and HE4 are the only approved markers in practice. In stages 2 to 4, CA125 levels are raised in 80 to 85% of the women. However, earlier stage cancer only has CA125 elevated in less than 50% of the cases. CA125 is MUC16 and an excellent functional biomarker of disease response, recurrence and progress or remission during follow-up visits, but insensitive and not specific enough for screening. Transvaginal ultrasounds and CA125 only have a role in women who harbor a BRCA mutation who do not wish to have prophylactic surgery. The PLCO screening study, that's the prostate, lung, colorectal and ovary screening study in 78,216 women resulted in more de deaths although not statistically significant, and there were more complications. It should be noted that the US PSTF recommendations 20, September 2012 definitely stated that no screening was the standard in the general population. Keys to history and physical examination. There is no anatomic boundary between the pelvis and abdominal cavity, and so metastasis is early and extensive with subtle symptoms associated with pleural effusions that require a high degree of suspicion and investigation if persistent or progressive that is more than two weeks with CA125 and CT. One study by Goff et al. identified four cardinal symptoms, pelvic or abdominal pain, urinary urgency or frequency, increased abdominal size and or bloating, and difficulty eating or feeling full, though none are pathognomonic. Size does not necessarily predict malignancy, as benign tumors can be huge, but clinically fixed masses, ascites, and an elevated CA125 
raise the suspicion for malignancy. An annual pelvic exam may detect disease, although 20 to 30% of the patients not present with palpable masses. Helpful diagnostic tests. A tissue diagnosis is key and rare tumor types require expert review. A paracentesis may give a cytologic diagnosis, but typically a core biopsy of surgery, that is laparoscopy or laparotomy, is required and many patients go straight to surgery for concurrent diagnosis, staging and debulking. Doppler blood flow on ultrasound can be helpful and ultrasound can also identify metastasis and ascites. However, MRI has much better specificity. MRI has 90% specificity versus 75% for CT and is substantially better than ultrasound for the evaluation of adnexal masses. One meta-analysis revealed MRI sensitivity of 92% and specificity of 86% for ovarian masses. MRI features common to malignancy involve a mass in either solid or cystic form with septations more than 3 mm, papillary projections, pelvic wall invasion and indications of spread. Surgery with a laparoscopy or laparotomy is often the diagnostic procedure when there is malignancy. The classic triptych presentations of ovarian cancer include ACUP that is adenocarcinoma of unknown primary with ascites. Women presenting with malignant ascites should have a pelvic exam and umbilicus carefully felt for a peritoneal mass which is known as Sister Mary Joseph's nodule. Immunochemistry of cytokeratins may be helpful such as cytokeratin stain 7 positive or cytokeratin 20 stain negative. Thromboembolism or Trossius syndrome is common particularly with clear cell tumors. Paraneoplastic syndromes occur such as cerebellar syndromes, dermatomyositis, lesser trelat and palmar fasciitis. The differential diagnosis of ovarian tumors. Tumor is typically differentiated from benignancy by age of the patient that is postmenopausal, size greater than 5 cm and the nature whether solid or septated. The other possibilities typically listed in the differential diagnosis of adnexial masses include endometrioma, functional cyst, torsion, tubo-ovarian abscess, pedunculated uterine fibroid or pelvic kidney and are often suggested by clinical context. Locally advanced gynecologic tumors such as endometrial and cervical, rectal and bladder tumors can be hard to differentiate despite imaging when tumors are very large. The Krukenberg metastatic tumors from the breast or GI tract are typically bilateral and cystic. When to refer a patient with ovarian tumors? Every patient should have a consultation with a gynecologic oncologist who has specialist training and surgical skills necessary to optimally cytoreduce or debulk the advanced disease. This is the first of two um, podcasts on ovarian tumors. The next podcast will be discussing therapy. This podcast is derived from an outstanding chapter 
titled Ovarian Cancer, authored by Kelsey Lapenas, who is now at Duke University, Michael J. Birrer, MD, PhD, who used to be professor at Harvard Medical School when this chapter was submitted, Dr. John O. George, MD, who is Director of Gynecologic Oncology at the Tufts Medical Center, and Dr. Richard T. Penson, MD, MRCP, who is Medical Director of Gynecologic Oncology at the Mass General Hospital. This chapter is derived from an outstanding chapter in Baliga's textbook of internal medicine with 1,480 multiple-choice questions available at www.mastermedfacts.com.